We've been talking about a place for faith. We've been using the book of Colossians for these last several weeks. We're going to return to the book of Colossians in the next two Sundays coming up. We're going to talk about family next week. I hope you don't miss that. Family, a place for faith, how we live out our faith in the family. And then on November 20th, we're kicking off our global impact year, looking at missions and talking about the ends of the earth, a place for faith. And we just sent one of our own to India to serve the Lord there. So we know that all the way to the ends of the earth, God is calling this congregation, not only in giving and praying, but also in going. Today we're going to do something a little different. I talked about baptism, a place for faith, earlier in this series, and today I'm going to talk about the table, a place for faith. And I'm going to do so from a surprising place, okay? Because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or Matthew, Mark, and Luke each record, and so does 1 Corinthians, the words of Jesus about the Lord's Supper. This is my body, this blood is the new covenant. Uh, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. And uh, so we go back to those anytime we come to the table for the words that we speak as we receive the bread and the cup. But John does not actually record the bread and the cup in the upper room. He has something else that he records, a very vivid and dramatic event that John tells us about as the disciples were gathered in the upper room. He records it in John chapter 13. Now chapter 14 is that great chapter about let not your heart be troubled and Jesus talks about all the things that he's going to do for us and preparing us a place in heaven and receiving us unto himself. Talks about peace that he's going to give us in chapter 15. He talks about I am the vine, you are the branches. Chapter 16, he talks about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit in our lives. And in chapter 17 of John is this, what we call the high priestly prayer of John, where Jesus bows his head in the upper room and he prays for his disciples and also for us. So this is the beginning of these long chapters in John about the upper room. And in chapter 13, verse 1, we have this related by the Apostle John. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Love to the end. This table is about a love that went all the way to the end. The scripture says here that Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. 
Somebody said there was never a more beautiful euphemism than this. The word leave has embedded in it the idea of the foot. So Jesus is about to go somewhere with his feet. When the scripture says here the hour had come for Jesus to leave, it was actually talking about the path that was ahead of him where his feet would take him to the Garden of Gethsemane where he would be arrested after praying in great agony. And then his feet would take him to Pilate's judgment hall where he would be beaten and then down what history calls the Via Dolorosa, the road of suffering to the hill called Calvary where he was executed by the Roman soldiers. This is what lay ahead of Jesus. And John sums it up by saying he's going to leave this world. The man from Galilee left this world in a path of agony and pain, but he knew where he was going. Jesus knew, the scripture says here, he knew the hour had come. He knew that Judas had already betrayed him, even though Judas was still sitting at the table in the upper room. Jesus knew that his enemies would deploy the temple guard to arrest him after his prayer in the garden. Jesus knew what kind of death he would die. He'd already talked about it. He talked about being lifted up between heaven and earth. He said, if the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men unto me. And that is a symbol of his crucifixion hung between heaven and earth. Jesus knew. The final words of Jesus express great faith. When someone we love is about to die, we hang on every word. We want them to be comfortable and attend to their need. Jesus knew how he was going to die. My father did as well. He told him, you have congestive heart failure. He finally said, nothing's working. And so they just started giving him morphine. And he lived for four days knowing that he was going to drown in his own body fluids. And as long as he was conscious, we listened to every word. And one of the things we said to dad was, we love you. We told him over and over again, we love you. And dad told us that he loved us. Jesus is about to die. I don't know what you would do if you knew the soldiers were going to come and get you and you had an hour of freedom left. Or what you would do if you knew that in 24 hours you'd be dead. I don't know what you'd do, but I suspect you would do what Jesus did here. You would express your love to the people closest to you, and that's what Jesus did. But he loved them not just with words, but in a great parable of grace and forgiveness. He loved them by washing their feet. There was a basin and a towel and water in that room that stood by the door. And Jesus took those elements and washed the disciples' feet. No servants were present in the upper room that we know of. No one else had volunteered to do the job. It was customary for the host to take care of this. And Jesus took care of it for his disciples. Have you ever had your feet washed? I mean, really? When I was a young pastor, I went to the hospital having heard that Cora Webb 
was removed from her home by emergency medical technicians. They had placed her on a gurney, and when I got to the ICU, she was still lying on that gurney, a frail little woman, very advanced in age. But she'd become dear to me because she'd become a mentor of mine. I'd go over and visit with Cora Webb, and she'd pray for me, and we'd talk about the scriptures. I was 21 years old when I became her pastor. After I visited her a little bit in that ICU, I said, Cora, I want to pray for you. And Cora, who's laying vertical with her hands like this, looked up at me and she said, Pastor, you look tired today. I want to pray for you. Now that happened 40 years ago. But I've never forgotten the moment in the ICU when Cora, who was on her deathbed, she died just a few days later, prayed for this poor pastor who must have had stress lines and maybe not sleeping very well. And she could see I was tired. And she took my hand and prayed for me. She washed my feet. Love to the end. Jesus loved his own who were in the world, and he loved them to the end, John says. I recommend this to you. We are learning here at the table that Jesus loves us to the end. That's what this table is about. It's about the end of his life. It's about the end of his effort. It's about when he says it is finished and he's accomplished all that God intended for him to do. It's about the end. And he loved to the end. And I'm challenging you to follow your Lord and Master, the one you call Savior, and you love to the end. Whatever it is you're in, whatever journey it is, how difficult it might be, I don't know. But I know this, God wants you to love to the end. He wants love to characterize your life. You can't really do that unless you know that you've come from God and you're going to God. And that's what Jesus knew right here. See, Jesus could look past the present. He could look past the cross all the way to the Father's house. He'd been there before. He was going back. And he could see that. And so he lived in the present with a view toward his place in the Father's house. He had come from God and was going to God. And even as he was on the eve of his passion and the great suffering he would endure, he knew that God had given to him all authority. He knew that. You too can keep things in perspective as Tuesday approaches. All right? Jesus knows what the government's going to do to him. Caesar's going to hang him up to die. Caesar's puppet, Pilate, is going to have a mock trial and have him crucified. And he knows that's what the government's going to do to him. But Jesus knows that all power is given unto him. He's resting in confidence in the power of God. He knows he's going to God and he's come from God. Do you know that? Do you know that this table represents eternal values that go far beyond time and place? Do you know that when the names of Hillary and Trump have faded in history, the name of Jesus will continue to ring out as the name above all names? Do you know this? You know this, when Jesus looks at government, 
He recognizes an earthly authority, but he looks past it. He told Pilate, you'd have no power over me except what God has given you. It's all in the context, you see. It's in the context of eternal truth. So we come to this table where things are represented that are eternal, that change life forever. To put it all in perspective, like Jesus did as he faced the cross. Verse 6 says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. Wash away the debris. Wash those feet. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Peter was embarrassed for the Lord Jesus Jesus was not acting like the leader. I think that's what was in Peter's mind. He was stooping too low. He was doing what the servants do. Jesus was washing away the dust that accumulates in any journey on a dirt road. But it was a picture of the forgiveness that he was extending to his disciples. Through his final act of love, his death upon the cross for them, he was going to make it possible for their sin to be washed away forever. This washing enabled the continuing relationship of love between him and his disciples. Jesus fell to his knees and washed their feet. Jesus was saying to them, you are imperfect people. Dirt gets on your feet all the time. I'm washing your feet right before I die so you will understand that I cleanse you from head to foot, removing every sin and all shame. The basin and pitcher of water sat by the door. The disciples' feet were extended away from the table where they reclined. You've got to remember the table's about this tall, okay? And they put up an elbow, and they extend their feet outward from that table. Jesus took off his outer garment, took the basin and towel, and washed the feet of Andrew, the fisherman, then James and John, the sons of thunder. He washed the feet of Philip and Thaddeus, then Thomas, the doubter, and Simon, the zealot. He poured water on the feet of Matthew, who used to be a tax collector, 
James, the son of Alphaeus and Bartholomew, he picked up the heel of Judas Iscariot and washed his feet. And he cleaned the feet of Peter, who would soon say three times, I never knew him. What is Jesus doing in this room? He is extending forgiveness to 12 of his friends who must have it in order to know how to live. They must have it to experience life. If they don't have this forgiveness, it's death to them. And Jesus is falling to his knees and washing their feet as a statement of his forgiveness unto them. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Love to the end. Let Jesus wash your feet. Let Jesus, don't be like Peter. Let Jesus wash your feet. Acknowledge, hey, I need you to make me clean. I'm not clean in myself. Jesus knows that Peter cannot have part with him unless he washes his feet, unless he makes those feet clean. Somebody is in this room may be resisting the forgiveness of God because you think you're in such good shape. And you don't really need what Jesus has to offer because you've always been such a good fella. And you're just as lost as you can be and just as wrong about who you are as you can be. Jesus washes our feet because we are sinners in need of a Savior. And he says to us, now I want you to do the same. And so Jesus is telling them this. Just like I have dropped to my knees and washed the feet of Judas who walked into this space and Peter who walked into this space and Matthew the tax collector who walked into this space so I want you to wash one another's feet who walks into your space whose feet bring them into your office your living room who walks into your space? I'll bet you there's somebody in your space who may be guilty of scandalous sin. When Jesus was blessed by the woman of the street who came to wash his feet, 
The Pharisees said, if he knew what kind of woman she was, he would not allow her to touch him. But not only was she washing his feet, by receiving her gift, he was washing hers. Zacchaeus was a white-collar thief, and everybody knew it, and he'd sat at the receipt of customs at the taxer's table, and he'd stolen from people who had practically nothing and enriched himself. And when they saw him come out of that tree in the crowd, there was a boo that went through the crowd. Zacchaeus is no good. He shouldn't be around Jesus. And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And he dropped down and he washed that thief's feet. They threw at his feet the woman caught in adultery, hoping he would lead the way in stoning her. Instead, he said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Jesus stooped down and washed her feet. And this is what Jesus wants you to do with the people who walk into your space. Can you do it? They walk into the room and you drop and you wash their feet. That is, you extend to them the grace that Jesus has extended to you knowing how needy you are. You turn to them and give them the forgiveness that liberates them. There's somebody in your life that if they knew you forgave them, it would be like a weight rolling off their heart. It would change their life to know that you washed their feet and your pride has kept you from it and you've refused to forgive and you've held the resentment and bitterness in but now the master's saying the servant's not greater than the master the messenger's not greater than the one who sent me if I've washed your feet then you ought to wash one another's feet what Jesus wants you to do with that person who has injured you who has hurt you who has maligned you is when they walk into your space you drop on your knees and you wash their feet you say that sounds backwards it sounds upside down yes indeed it is but this is what John says John says we leave with Jesus passing from this world into the presence of God when we love one another he said, he who loves his brother has crossed over from death into life. And he uses the very same word that Jesus used, that, that is used here to describe Jesus leaving and going to the Father. In fact, Jesus used this word in John 5, 24, when he talked about believing in me and you will pass from death into life. So I'm bringing life into the house, into the office, into the classroom. There's life here. If you will learn to forgive the one who has offended, it's powerful. It's dynamite. It changes lives when you learn the humility and the grace of washing the feet of those you forgive. A CNN reporter named Lori came to our church last week 
And she sat back there in that back section and she interviewed me for an hour for a story they're doing a year after Ashley Madison became public. And she said to me, what about this list, this Ashley Madison list? We had a man on the list and he took his life when the world found out. She said, what, what would you do if he had come to church? I said, we would have forgiven him. I hope I didn't misspeak. I was speaking for all of us. Amen. We would have forgiven him. Wouldn't we? She said, really, you would have forgiven him? I said, absolutely, we'd have forgiven him. Unfaithfulness, disappointment, betrayal, we've experienced it a hundred times, and we've forgiven a hundred times. She said, how? Thirty-two million people on this list. How can you do that? And I told her, we are all on the list. We are all on the list. We are all on the list. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Every one of them has turned away. He has gone his own way. That's who we are. We're all on the list. And Jesus, knowing I was on the list, dropped to his knees and washed my feet. Knowing you were on the list, he took the towel and he washed your feet. Don't you pull back your feet. You need this to be whole. You need this to be clean. You need to acknowledge that you're on the list. A sinner in need of a Savior with a soul tainted and beyond repair. So deeply wounded and battered, you cannot heal yourself. You need a Savior. His name is Jesus. And if you'll come into His presence just like you are, just like the history you got, no matter what list you're on, Jesus will drop to His knees and He'll wash your feet and you'll never be the same. You say, oh, He shouldn't do that. That's embarrassing. Unless He washes you like this, you have no part in Him. Don't you parade around supposing you're not on the list. You've not, you've not gone that way. That you've lived a good life and God's going to let you into heaven because you've been a good boy and you've been a good dad. You've been a good citizen and you voted right so you're going to get to heaven because all these good things you've done. What a silly thing to suppose. 
Knowing who you are, knowing the thoughts inside of you, knowing what goes on in your heart, knowing the things you've done, and you want to go to an eternal and perfect God on the basis of your record? No. You need somebody to take care of that record of yours. The Bible says we're all condemned by the things that we've done. We need a Savior, and Jesus is the one. It's going to change somebody's life when you have experienced enough of the reality of Jesus washing your feet that when they come into your presence, you can do for them what Jesus did for you and forgive. Forgive. I set you an example that you will do what I have done to you Forgive. This table is love to the end. This table represents the washing away of the debris that inevitably collects on a person who walks on this earth, on you. This table represents the Father God who loves you beyond your imagination and wants you in his presence, but for you to be in his presence, he's got to wash your feet. This table says to you and to me, now then, take the knee, please, and the towel, and the basin, and do unto others what I've just done to you.